It's the Sunday after Easter, and we have come up with all kinds of fun names for this Sunday. Technically, if you were looking at a lectionary calendar, we would say that this is the second Sunday of Easter because Christians love Easter. We give it 50 days. You thought we loved Christmas because we gave it 12 days. We give Easter the great 50 days. Sometimes we call this Sunday Low Sunday. Or, Eric, I think you'll like this one. I've also heard it called National Associate Pastor Sunday. Naps. Whatever we decide to call today, I think we can all agree that it feels like it's a Sunday where we can all take a big exhale. Because for 40 days, we had been building up to Easter and Lent. We had been working towards the miracle of Easter Sunday. And then at the very end of Lent, we walked that Holy Week journey with Jesus to the cross. We saw unimaginable violence. We felt deep grief. And then we showed up last Sunday and Jesus was resurrected. We celebrated We brought out the kids in their best clothes, and they stayed mostly clean. We found almost all of the Easter eggs we had put in the lawn, and we even found Jesus. And now it feels like on this Sunday, we just want to take a little break. It's so funny, isn't it? We put all this energy into Easter like it's a sprint, only to show up the Sunday after and realize it is a marathon. Maybe we should have paced ourselves a little bit better. But don't worry, the first disciples did this too. They had been on this long journey with Jesus. They had been in ministry with him. They had been through the ringer with him. They had heard on that Easter morning from Mary that Jesus had been risen, but they had yet to see him because that night they had locked themselves away in a room. The Gospel of John tells us because they were afraid that the authorities who did this to Jesus, who crucified him, would come for them next. And so they are sitting frightened in this room together when Jesus comes through the door. And you know what? Jesus doesn't mess around in that moment. He doesn't say, you guys, I'm so sorry. I know it's been a long week. I know that you've been waiting for Easter to come. And now y'all can just sit back and relax. It's going to be okay. No, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21. It says, as my father sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus comes in that room to these terrified, frightened, exhausted disciples. And he says, I have work for you to do. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And he says, go, get to work, get out of here. There is no low Sunday for disciples of Jesus Christ. What those first disciples realize when Jesus appears to them after the resurrection is that this whole resurrection thing isn't a one-time deal. It's something Jesus will ask them to do time and time again. And when they do, when they as a community of believers can practice resurrection, it begins to look a little something like this. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts. It's a whole book about what the first believers did after Jesus was resurrected and how the church and the gospel message began to spread into the world. And we read this morning from Acts 4, verses 32 through 35, this. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions but held everything in common. 
the apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. If you'll join me in affirming this reading, I'm going to say this is the word of God for the people of God, and you'll respond, thanks be to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know it seems a little weird to say thank you after reading a scripture that basically tells us to sell all our possessions, get rid of your house, bring it to the church. It, it's hard for me to say how this specific scripture would have landed in the early church, how people would have read or experienced this. I, I looked up what some scholars have talked about in regards to Acts specifically this passage, and they say that maybe people who first read this understood it in terms of the Greco-Roman concept of friendship. Apparently, in the context at that time, if you had friends, you would share a lot of things with them. But we can agree that what the Christians were exemplifying in their life together was even beyond Greco-Roman friendship. I mean, they were giving to anyone who was in need. You didn't have to be their friend. If you needed it, they were selling it, and they were providing for your need. Maybe those who witnessed this life of the first disciples were inspired by the depth of their belief. But I have to tell you, sitting here in the 21st century, the practice of resurrection sounds like it came from a completely different planet. I mean, the scripture says that none of them would say, this is mine. Have they been in church? Do you know we've had whole denominational splits over the sale of pews? That's right, denominations, the Methodist Church, have split off because families called dibs on the good seats, you know, the ones in the back. And yet scripture tells us that in the early church, no one would ever say, this is mine. And you know that's not as deep as we could go with that truth. And it says that if they owned a house, they had any property, they would sell it and put it under the authority of the apostles. And we thought the church asking us to bring knickknacks to a rummage sale was a lot. But these early followers of Jesus gave it all away. They gave it to the church. They didn't ask what it was going to be used for or if they could designate it here or there. They just said, here is my house. Take it. I know it will provide for someone's need. Truly, it just doesn't make a lot of sense in our context. This idea that we would hold anything in common which really means that we hold it together in community, especially in a world that too often thrives on what's good for me over what's good for us. It leaves us not just scratching our head. This morning scripture leaves me wanting to bang my head against the wall and say, Jesus, what is it you want from me? I've been working hard for the past 40 days in Easter and I just want a break. <laughs> And I showed up here on the, the Sunday after Easter and you're telling me to sell everything, to agree with everyone, to get along, like the world is just going to be okay. But maybe the message for us this morning is not in rushing to the end, seeing where the apostles and the disciples ended up in the early church, but realizing that it was part of a larger process. 
I mean, I, I know that the lectionary puts together for us this morning the reading from John that shows the disciples in that room that evening meeting Jesus and being sent into the world, and then this scene from Acts. But really, there was some time between those two events. The disciples didn't just walk out of that room and know how to be church. <laughs> they didn't just go, oh, okay, Jesus just gave us all the answers, and now we'll sell everything, and people will come along. This is going to be great. No, there was time for them to practice being in community together, for them to grow, I imagine disagree, and find out which ways led to life. 2,000 years later, maybe we are realizing that we need this same lesson, that we need to practice resurrection over and over again until the transforming power of God's grace gets into every piece of not only our lives individually, but our lives as a community. And the truth is that this work of resurrection is not just about us accepting the grace of God for ourselves. It's about allowing that same grace that comes into our hearts to come into our community and our world. Because it doesn't just change how we live our lives as individuals, but how we understand our responsibility to one another. God's grace is a common grace. That means that God's grace is everywhere we can touch it in the most ordinary things, but it also means that God's grace is shared. It's communal. It's found in places and times where we exist for a common good and a common purpose. When we allow this common grace to guide our lives, we begin to practice resurrection. We practice resurrection whenever we show up in places and at times where what we stand to lose outweighs what we would gain by worldly standards. We can see this in big examples like Mother Teresa who gave up everything to live among the poor, to care for the ill and the dying in India. We can see it in examples of executives who walk away from high paying jobs, wonderful careers to teach students in the inner city. It can be seen when people stand up or speak out when they see injustice or mistreatment of an individual or in larger systems in our world. Resurrection can push us to make big changes and to accept big sacrifices, but it can also become a part of the rhythm of our everyday lives. Sometimes we think that if we're going to practice resurrection, we have to be ready right away to give up everything that the first disciples gave up. We think that if we can't be Mother Teresa, we can't be Christians at all. But the truth is that the sum of seemingly small choices create a big impact on our world. Staying in to eat as a family, even when restaurants begin to open again so you can enjoy more quality time together, that's a way to practice resurrection. Choosing to give up something that you know you can live without so that you have more to give to people in need, that's a way you can practice resurrection. 
not picking up one more commitment or meeting, but instead blocking off time for loved ones, friends, or as crazy as it sounds, even just yourself, can be practicing resurrection. Making peace with someone you don't agree with, not because suddenly you've come to see eye to eye, but because that is what grace is all about, is practicing resurrection. Letting go of a need to have things my way and seeing that when sometimes things go our way, it can be equally as pleasing. That is practicing resurrection. There are so many ways we can practice resurrection, so many ways we can take the grace and love and miracles we find on Easter and incorporate them into the rhythm of our everyday life. And if I may this morning, I think coming out of Easter in 2021 presents us a special opportunity. I don't need to tell you that the last year plus of our lives has been insane. We have given up so many things. We have learned so much about what we can handle as human beings. We've also learned so much about how we can care for one another, even when it causes us to wear a mask when it's hot and uncomfortable. We've learned that a simple shot in our arm can be a way of showing love to other people. And right now, as we're emerging from this time of pandemic, as we're finally able to see a hope-filled future, right now, we can choose to live differently. We can make a choice to practice resurrection with our very lives. I mean, can you think of one thing? It could be big or it could be small. That you could do differently in your life to practice resurrection. Is there one thing you could do today that would help you live your life of faith in a bigger way? Is there something that you could do so that you can live into that promise, not only of individual grace, but of common grace, communal grace? I can promise you if you pick up this practice, it is going to make absolutely no sense to many people. Other people will tell you you have lost your edge. They might even say you've lost your mind. But the fruit of this work will show in the witness of communities of faith who commit themselves to practicing resurrection. People will see Christians and they will say, you know, they're on to something. It might seem crazy. I don't know how they live like that or how they show such grace to people they disagree with or why they would give up something that they enjoy. But they will see how we live our lives. They will see that we can choose to become of one heart and one mind, just like those first disciples. And you know, they will start to think that maybe there is a better way. Maybe the world can be a better place. Maybe Easter does mean something. Maybe the resurrection didn't just happen some 2,000 years ago. Maybe it's happening right here, right now, today. Maybe we are being resurrected in this very moment into a new 
way of life. And not because we've been called to be saints or even martyrs, but because we simply choose over and over again the path of grace, the path of Jesus, the path of discipleship. I want to leave us today with some words from the poet Wendell Berry. He states so much more eloquently than I can the call of this scripture, the call for us today. These words are just selections from a larger poem of Berry's that's titled Manifesto, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front. And here is what he writes. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they'll call you. When they want you to die for profit, they'll let you know. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing. Take all you have and be poor. Love someone who doesn't deserve it. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Practice resurrection. May it be so. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.